This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello listeners and welcome to the third episode of Disability Discussions. I'm Lucy, your host, and today we have a new guest. If you'd like to introduce yourself. Hello, my name's Joe. I'm a second year geographer at Grey College. You're also our disability rep. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what that role involves? Yes. So my role is to represent people with disabilities who identify as having disabilities in terms of either mental health disabilities, neurodivergence or physical disabilities and to offer them support but also to act as a a voice for the disabled community within Grey in relation to the JCR but also to wider college matters and to bring problems up to college staff. So recently we've the welfare team have started offering the reps committee training welfare training so that we can offer more support sessions and drop-in sessions which i think is a really good improvement because especially when i was in my first year i found it very difficult to know where to go to in terms of outreach in terms of disabilities um, for support and i didn't even know my role existed in my first year so they seemed quite separated but now Gray is doing a good job in trying to bring them together, which is good. Yeah, I think it's mutually beneficial for reps to be more part of welfare than not, because representative roles tend not to have the same advertisement and publicity within college as kind of other positions. And so if they're then a part of welfare, they're able to get that publicity that they need to get certain activities and events happening, as well as being able to offer more knowledgeable support based on minority experiences and signposting to external help like the DSA. You've also just been elected as the Environmental and Ethics Officer. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what you do in that role? Yes, so this is something else I'm really passionate about. I'm a very passionate environmentalist and climate change activist. And I think what's the main thing that I want to talk about on this podcast is having disabilities shouldn't be seen as something that holds you back. It should be seen as a way of thinking differently, thinking outside the box. Quite a lot of people describe quite a lot of, especially neurodivergence, as a superpower rather than a disability as such. And therefore, I want to prove that you don't have to be pigeonholed as the guy with the disability. You can do whatever you want. And also the ethics part does link back to being a disability representative because it's about equality, it's about fairness, it's about quality of opportunity, which I think is still a limiting factor in having disabilities. Yeah, and do you want to talk a little bit more about what your disabilities are? and kind of how they limit or affect your experience at uni. Yes, so I've got a number of disabilities. So I've got some physical disabilities and some neurodivergence disabilities. So I'll probably start with talking about my physical disabilities and then move on to my neurodivergence. Yeah. So I've got cerebral palsy, uh, which means I get very tired. And that, as well as having dyspraxia, means basically just getting through my day and having like the energy to socialize with people, the energy just to organize my work, to clean my house, to cook, all of that sort of stuff makes a normal university experience a lot harder. The other disability which 
I have is dyslexia. So that obviously makes the more academic side of university much harder in terms of writing. It takes so long to like check work, plan work. It's quite chaotic sometimes. So basically, my disabilities together create an environment where just tasks seem to take longer and they're also just much more tiring to get through. So I'm not as familiar with dyspraxia as I am with cerebral palsy or dyslexia. So do you want to explain that in a little bit more detail? Yeah, so dyspraxia is a neurodivergence where the main symptom of being dyspraxic is being very messy and disorganised. It's a form of an executive functioning disorder, so it's similar in a way to ADHD in the fact that you feel like you are doing so much all the time and you're going 100 miles an hour, but you can't actually get anywhere remember or get anywhere exactly so stuff like that is where dyspraxia makes it life quite challenging it's also one of these neurodivergences which are less well understood in the both scientific community but also in general disability chats because people with dyspraxia historically were just called lazy or disorganized people and so If I go back to, like, my time at school, being dyspraxic, it's like forgetting your pencil case, forgetting homework, all of that sort of stuff is quite a regular occurrence. And in order to compensate for my dyspraxia, I have to basically start tasks months before to almost force myself to complete it. Otherwise, it's just good because it takes such a long time to physically complete. That's dyspraxia. Yeah, that sounds super similar to ADHD. A lot of neurodivergent conditions are understudied. Historically, they were only studied in kind of white males, specifically with autism and ADHD. The stereotype is men having that. And for example, if you look on TV, the characters that always have are always white males. So a lot of research is now coming out about these conditions in women and also people of colour because they were left out of a lot of studies as well. And this information can be really helpful for diagnoses because if you don't kind of attach yourself to that stereotype, if that's not how you present, which for me, especially with ADHD, it isn't, it can be very hard to kind of read those, the list of symptoms and be like, yeah, I do all of this. But then you think about the stereotype and it doesn't match up. A lot of people, when they think of ADHD, they think of younger children running around. They think of the hyperactivity. They don't think of the inattentiveness, which is another side of it. So that can stop people from wanting to get diagnosis because they think, well, if I don't match the stereotype, then I will probably not be believed. So you mentioned this feeling of being very tired kind of later in the day. Do you find that this stops you from kind of doing as much as you want? It sometimes stops me and it's harder because I'm dyspraxic, so I am disorganised. If I know that, let's say tonight I was planning on going to watch something or go and meet a friend, I might have to say change my day around because I can't and this was especially an issue back at school it's like you go to school you socialize all day and then you're just so physically burnt out by the time you get home that you feel like doing nothing so I've had to at uni adapt some of my days and this is in order to buy myself time so I can relax and I'm not tired before let's say going out to a pub or something or going to a lecture and certain times 
when I get home, let's say I went to the library all day. When I get home, I don't really want to socialise with my flatmates, so I just want to sit on my bed and watch TV, which is not atypical compared to other people, but that makes life a bit harder. So do you find events like balls to be quite difficult because of when they are in the day? Yes. So I'm definitely much more of a morning person. So it's a cumulative impact throughout the day, probably the tiredness. And that's probably why I prefer to go to bed early, you know, compared to other people. And, you know, especially last year with COVID restrictions and the only people you could socialise were your uh, corridor mates. And they all wanted to do the only bit of main socialising in the entire day at 9pm every day. And it's like at 9pm, I want to watch TV. Yeah, just zone out for the day. That makes complete sense. I find that I have more of a social battery. The more people I have to talk to, the more kind of large crowds I have to be in, especially at events, the more tired I'm going to be. And eventually when it depletes, it becomes unbearable and completely overwhelming. Whereas yours sounds more like a general battery that will deplete as time goes by, not as much affected by the socialising of an event, more just because it's later in the day, which makes a lot of sense. So is there anything else that you're kind of up to apart from the JCR roles? I play cricket for the JCR and also hockey. I'm a hockey goalkeeper, so I'm a bit crazy. So I stand in the way of a ball being whacked in my face. I've always been really passionate about sport and this is something that I did want to talk about today because sport as a whole is quite it's quite ableist to be honest and saying I've got a disability does in certain situations but people reject you without even making an effort to see if you can do it because I can the other thing is you have to work a lot harder to get to the same level as a uh, person without disabilities. So, for example, in addition to college sports, I also play um, cricket for Surrey's Disability 11. And when I'm at home, obviously, in Durham, it's quite hard to commute to Surrey. But this is a team full of a range of disabilities ranging from learning disabilities to uh, physical disabilities. So a lot of the players have things like cerebral palsy, which I have. And what was really interesting was last summer, they merged this team and the deaf team. So in terms of communicating with deaf players, it's quite, it's challenging if you've never learned sign language so what they made us do is learn in order for us to be able to communicate effectively with our teammates and this you know playing proper high level disability sport for a number of years now has you know it's opened my eyes to other disabilities and how people because i think the whole point about sport and disabilities is you have to, you can do it, but you have to be very determined and resilient to failure, more so than non-disabled people. And also because sport isn't the most open and accepting, especially when you're a young teenager. And it's like, it's quite hard to show weakness, especially historically, disabilities have been seen as a weakness. And that's something that I as part of my role but just in more general life i really want to show that it's not a weakness 
you just think a bit differently or you just walk a bit slower but the body and the mind is so adaptable that a weakness in one area will result in a strength in another area. So shall we talk a bit more about how people view disabilities then? Because I think when non-disabled people think about disabilities, they think about it on a very extreme level. They only think about people in wheelchairs with the most needs to our society. So people who, as I said, in wheelchairs or, or people who need a lot of carers or kind of like one-on-one help rather than disabilities which affect you in small ways but still affect you every day and I think autism's a really kind of good example on that it's on a spectrum so you have people who are non-verbal who need carers who can never live independently and then on the other side of the scale you have people like me who can live independently but do have issues with day-to-day life that makes it a little bit harder and I think because you never see on tv or in the media this kind of less extreme instance of autism then it's not in people's minds and I think This is also going back to the stereotype. You never see women with autism really on TV, apart from maybe in things like The Undateables or Love on the Spectrum or dating kind of shows. And I think that's something that definitely needs to be improved is the visibility of disabilities in TV and especially in a broader range of people than just the Sheldon Cooper stereotype. Yeah, I agree with that. It's about showing people that there are, I think, going back to um, something like dyslexia, the education system is skewed against people with things like dyslexia, where people are criticised at a young age for being lazy or being stupid, and then that puts them off the education system. And being high-functioning disabled members of the community you need to show that there is a way out, that it's okay, that you re- start reading late, that you your spelling's atrocious, that there is a way to get to, and especially university level education. Some people just, they get into a negative spiral. They're told that they're you know not good enough, and then they become worse and worse and worse and give up. Whereas what I think needs to happen, and this could also be to do with the fact that the education system needs to increase its terms of diagnoses for these conditions. But overall, it's it's about being role models and people just need to tell their friends about disabilities and be honest about it at the end of the day, because the only way that you can change the world is if people actually know and can hear people. If I was going to talk to myself 10 years ago, what to do? It's about going, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is things that you find really, really hard, but you can adapt. You can find a way to live in a in the world which is not very well designed, especially the education system for people with neurodivergence, in my opinion. Yeah, so I remember when I was looking through the university adjustment form, one of the things that they do across the whole uni that I'm, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure they do, is that they don't mark for SPAG, which is spelling, punctuation and grammar. And I think it's interesting that, you know, at SATS, then even at GCSE, so many marks per paper were allotted to SPAG. And it's just not really considered anymore. It's more about content. It's more about what you're writing rather than how you write it. And I think especially when you look at, as you get older, even novelists, writers, they have editors, they have people there to do the spelling check. 
So it's not really necessary to have perfect punctuation grammar because you can auto check. You can have software like Grammarly, like even just like word auto check just to go through and check it for you. Because if that is something you struggle with, there are ways to adjust for that. But yeah, when we were only, you know, 11 years old, we had whole papers where it was sit down and do this and basically make people who maybe aren't as naturally great with spag feel kind of stupid. Exactly. And people, just extending that point slightly further, it's people are therefore put off education at an earlier age and therefore don't go through to university and go down another path. There are obviously many paths in terms of apprenticeships really good for certain people, all of that stuff, or just getting a job. But people are put off going down the academic path, which is not brilliant. Yeah, it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy, really. The more people tell you, oh, you're stupid or you're really bad at this subject or you're really bad at that, it's just going to demotivate you and make you feel like, well, what's the point? Why should I even try if I'm bad? And I think that all comes back to how, as a society, we put all the pressure of being a minority and the issues and the difficulties that come with that on the minorities, rather than making adjustments or changing very small things in our lives. We expect others to change for us. And that's something that isn't very nice at all. So it could be something like expectations from kind of housemates. That could be something that a disabled person could really struggle with. If you have very serious depression, getting out of bed can be hard, so let alone washing up your plates or kind of keeping a standard of cleanliness. And yes, I understand that would be very annoying for your housemates, but there needs to be a level of empathy there. It could also be something as basic as socialising. Especially in first year, there was an expectation to socialise with kind of a larger group of people a couple of hours a day, which, as you've said, was hard for you. And often you have to make the choice to either force yourself to fit in, to be part of the group, to go out and socialise and maybe even push yourself past a boundary or to a point of overwhelm, or isolate yourself and kind of become a social outcast and other yourself because you're putting your mental health and your physical well-being over fitting in. But that can also make you kind of a, a social pariah because unfortunately, if you do distance yourself people will make these snap judgments about you. They'll think, oh yeah, they're really introverted or they're not. They're never going to socialise with us because they just keep going off. But actually it could be a case of, I want to socialise with you, but I can't because it's just not accessible for me right now. And that was particularly an issue in freshers. Freshers in itself is an overwhelming experience. The first time you move away, the first time you might not have lived with your kind of family... But particularly if you have a disability, especially one that affects kind of socialisation or maybe energy levels throughout the day. And obviously in freshers, because there isn't really anything else to do, it does feel like you just have to socialise all the time with these kind of group of people. And that can just be very draining. We're both second year, so our freshers week was an experience (laughs) compared to anyone's. But that probably leads on to another topic of discussion quite nicely is the alcohol culture at university especially the alcohol culture at durham yeah that was a massive shock for me coming from you know basically not drinking to within 20 minutes of arriving having some alcohol thrust in my hand it's quite intimidating and that was you know thrown in a deep end seeing And because I'd never drunk that much, like I'd never drunk to get drunk before, I've also got, this is something else that 
you could count as a disability. I've got really serious food allergies. So it's a long-term condition, which, you know, negatively impacts my life, which is the definition of what a disability is. And so having alcohol and not knowing what's in said alcohol is quite scary. And what are your food allergies? So I've got celiac disease. I've got food allergies to egg and milk are the main ones. So it's... Those are big ones. Yeah, exactly. The overarching thing from what I've been hearing is that all of my disabilities, they've got a cumulative impact. They're all individual things. And to be honest with you, most of the executive functioning, neurodivergency sort of ones are all interlinked. You know, they present themselves in slightly different ways, but it's that cumulative impact which just makes life quite hard sometimes. Okay, that's nothing to do with the alcohol thing. Let's go back to that. My experience of Freshers' Week was quite a residential one. It felt very strange, the freps that we had. Because we didn't have any nighttime activities, it was all during the day. They would be about from 8am till 11pm. So we had absolutely no free time. There was really no time to unpack, to get ready for the next week. We were getting timetables and trying to set up printers and there was just no time to actually do that before you started. Maths gives out kind of a baseline test to do during freshers and I needed to complete it and I had to ask and say like, hey, can I go off and do this this baseline test? And the, the fret was quite worried when I asked him that. I think their main concern was if you're alone, you can feel lonely, you might start feeling very homesick and it's not a nice feeling to kind of be sat alone and being like, oh my God, what am I doing here? But then instead they completely overwhelmed us and they completely took over the whole day and actually gave us no time to naturally get to know each other and organically kind of make these friendships. It was quite forced. So it felt very residential, very kind of team building skills. And I found that an issue as well. Like my room that week was so bad in terms of just chaos. And especially because I was throwing myself out there trying to socialise And then I got back, and as I said earlier in the podcast, I got back and I just crashed. I felt really, really tired and overwhelmed. I think the other thing is there's a fear of missing out. And I think especially having come out of COVID lockdowns, not seeing people my age for months in early 2020, and then suddenly it's one extreme to the other extreme. and that's overwhelming for most people, but it's particularly overwhelming if you get really tired. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely found over the lockdowns that my social comfort zone decreased quite substantially because you get so used to just hanging out with your family, you know, three or four other people. That suddenly, even being in a household of 15, there's a lot more people than you've seen for a long time. And so then the larger nights and the larger events can suddenly feel very overwhelming. And you mentioned this pressure or kind of responsibility to get involved and to socialise during freshers. As we said, it's all day, 8 to 11pm. And you have these bar nights and other activities happening during the day and then a few at the evening, but not so many. Obviously having allergies, that makes it a little bit more complicated because having celiacs you definitely can't have beer and I'm sure there's others as well so that's just another thing that you have to think about another thing to be like ah you've given me this drink and I don't actually know if I can drink it which as a rule of thumb if someone just hands you a drink I wouldn't drink that exactly and also beer is probably the cheapest drink 
So there is also the cost factor of you're expected to keep up and always have a drink in your hand. But then it's like, if I want to drink, I probably have to drink either wine or spirits. And they're much more expensive. It's one of those things you don't want to miss out. And you don't want to be the oddball. And I think that's the other thing that as a marginalised group, a disadvantaged group, people with disabilities... They've probably spent their lives, and I certainly have, feeling a bit odd, feeling the old one out. And having that being reinforced in other situations brings you back to times in your life where your disability got a bit too much and was a bit overwhelming. Or, you know, people were mean about your disability, or maybe you were too young to properly understand it. But stuff like that is an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, when I arrived at uni, I actually didn't have a diagnosis. I didn't even have a suspicion that I had ADHD or autism. So I had no idea how much it was going to affect me. But as a non-drinker, I did know that that was putting a bit of a target on my back. And I do think that there were comments only by the boys about everyone should be drinking, everyone should be participating, because some people do take it quite badly if you don't drink. I never had an issue with the girls. They were, I don't think they even questioned it. So that made me feel so much better just on the first night being like, ah, this is actually going to be fine because at least they're not going to be saying anything and they're the ones I'm going to be closer to. But I still had to work a little harder, especially with the guys, because they made the assumption that I was boring based off the fact that I didn't drink. And so a lot of them didn't really want to talk to me or they weren't as interested in having a conversation which is just a horrible attitude because you don't know why someone doesn't drink, you don't know what the reason is behind that. Exactly. There is also the fact that men especially, or two things, they don't talk if they've got disabilities enough because toxic masculinity and the a sort of rugby lad culture, you know, showing weakness is not accepted. And speaking up and saying, I've got a disability and it hinders me in these ways is quite hard as a man. It's another thing that men find it quite hard to talk about their mental health as well. I think it's a similar thing that it's quite hard to show weakness, to say, I need help. That is a very important issue, which hopefully in my role as Grey's disability rep, I want to try and get across. But actually from next year, with being the uh, environment and ethics officer in terms of the ethics, I want to link up with, let's say, the welfare team a bit more and say there needs to be concerted campaigns for men to talk about weakness and accept everyone's different. Everyone's has their strengths and has their weaknesses. And it's okay to talk about that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be disabled people. But I think before uni, I probably never said out loud to friends, I have a disability. And I don't, that's really unhealthy. I probably spent 18 years of my life not saying that. And I've clearly had my disabilities for a long time. And most of them were diagnosed when I was like 12 or 13. So it's been a long time in the making. But I never felt comfortable to say it out loud. And I think that might partially be because I went to a private school and private schools' cultures are even more toxic in terms of masculinity and stuff like that. So I wanted to fit in. 
Yeah, I think with the masculinity thing, from the guys I'm close to at uni who were in my household last year, we had quite an uneven split. So it was nine, nine guys, six girls. From kind of having interacted with them and seen their interactions on a, a very close level from having lived with them and also done multiple lockdowns and isolations with them, there definitely seemed to be this need and longing to be a part of the group and a real fear to speak out against anyone. Even though multiple of them might disagree with what someone's done, they would never say anything. And it felt like they were kind of tiptoeing around each other at times because even if they were angry at each other, even if they didn't like each other, they could just never say anything because I think they felt scared that if they did, everyone else would turn on them and they wouldn't be a part of the group anymore. Which if those are all your closest friends, it's really sad that you can't say, hey, I don't agree with that decision you made and I don't think that that was the right thing to do because it just means that there's no accountability if someone does something that is wrong or that isn't okay. Exactly, yeah. It's not brilliant. And it makes people feel isolated. Also, it sort of probably made me feel like I was pretending to be someone I wasn't, especially in those first couple of weeks. And then my building, we all got COVID. So I spent a week of freshers, which was really intense, and then two weeks locked away in my room. And that amplified that sense of worrying that you were pretending to be someone you're not and stuff like that and not being true to yourself. And probably actually when I came out of that isolation, that was when I first started telling people I've got a disability because I thought I need to be true and open and honest to myself, but also to other people because we all live in a world where luckily people are more accepting of things it's definitely even improved over my lifetime people's acceptance of different things sex gender race but i think the conversation about disability hasn't gone through the exact same movement to proper equality and people actually talking about it you know there's been the me too movement there's been the black lives matter movement I feel like there needs to be a movement surrounding disability rights and raising awareness of people with disabilities and making it more normal and mainstream to have characters on the TV not be defined by their disability, just to have that disability. So it's just seen as a normal thing because it is a normal thing. And so many people live with hidden or invisible disabilities every day of their lives, you know, trying to fit in. And that's not what we should be doing, really, in my opinion. Yeah, I think if you look at, for instance, kind of mental health conditions and how that's presented on TV shows with things like 13 Reasons Why Euphoria, it's either romanticised or sexualized. It can never just be, here's someone with a mental health condition and this is what they're going through or this is just a part of their lives. It's always got to be a little bit more. It's always got to be jazzed up in a way. And I think if you look at anything that kind of falls under disabilities or mental health conditions, often the main issue is they aren't being directed or produced by actually disabled people, people with mental health conditions, such as Music, which is a film made by Sia all about a non-verbal autistic girl. She didn't consult any autistic people on this. She didn't She doesn't have autism. The person who played the main character doesn't have autism. They had no feedback apart from right at the beginning I think I read that they had someone that they were talking to who was non-verbal autistic and they 
found it so overwhelming that they couldn't work with them any longer. The person refused to talk to see her anymore about this film. And I think if you're making a film that centers around a character that has a very similar experience to the person you're talking to, and it's so inaccessible that the person that you're getting all your references from will no longer talk to you and finds it so overwhelming that they're having panic attacks, that just shows how wrong her and her team went about it. And I think that's a very good example of a lot of TV shows and movies that are made about disabilities are not made for or by disabled people. And I think that's the biggest issue with a lot of the media surrounding disabilities. So one last question would be, do you have any ideas or any ways that the university could be better for disabled students? I think there are a couple of ideas. I actually wrote some of these down when I was thinking about it earlier. I think one of the things that university could do is to, obviously you want discrete support. You don't want, you know, your lecturer constantly coming around and going, are you okay? But occasionally, especially last year with like Zoom lectures and stuff, getting so far behind on those sorts of things, I would think that lecturers could email people they know who have uh, DSNs, which are support plans in place with the university, which they have access to and they will have read, to email those students to say, I'm just double checking that you're all caught up, you don't have any questions, because I feel sometimes, especially at uni, lecturers, because they're at the top of their subject, they seem so far away from you, and it feels really hard to reach out to speak to them. It's also even harder if you've got a disability, if you need to, you know, word the email correctly, all of those sorts of things. That's really hard to take that initial step. So if the university could do something like that, that might be useful. And probably my final suggestion is I think every department should have talks with their freshers as some of the introductory talks, like an education-based module or tool that people have to do. So they do one about sexual consent, which is really important. I think they should also do a course where everyone has to complete it about being accepting of people realizing that sometimes someone just can't help something you know you can't you know let's say you had Tourette's syndrome they can't help swearing or doing atypical outbursts and I think stuff like that would make life just so much easier for marginalized communities within the university because it would force a positive reinforcement of disabilities It just makes people feel a bit more comfortable, basically. So expanding on that last one a little bit more, definitely at Grey we had a race talk and there were also LGBT plus events going on. And then we also had the sexual consent module. But there was never anything spoken about disabilities. There was never anything to say, hey, there's this support available. And I think that's a really big issue within Durham is just the lack of publicity for a lot of support. No. And on that, in my first year, it might have just been because of COVID, but I never knew my role existed within Grey. I had no idea there was other, or obviously there were other disabled students in Grey, but I had no connection to that. And that made me feel more like an oddball. 
And this is where the representative roles are so important, but often you guys just don't get the publicity that you need. And that's quite a big issue in kind of a lot of JCRs is there's so many roles that people just don't know about. And in terms of even for, you know, applying for roles and getting involved, if people don't know what roles are available, then they're not going to be able to apply. But as well with the representatives is that they're not going to be able to necessarily get the, the support that's available to them. Exactly. Having that support network is so key because it's, I mean, it's a simple thing. If you talk to a non-disabled person, like, for example, my flatmates the other day said, Joe, why haven't you done your washing up yet? If I try and explain that to a non-disabled person, that's quite a hard thing to explain. It's because basically the explanation is my disability physically stops me. I don't know how to explain it. It's just the way my brain works. I just forget or I just get way too emotionally tired or drained and I just can't do it. So things like that, having that support network of people who have had similar experiences to you in the past or currently, you can ask them those what are seen as stupid questions about how to deal with stuff that most people find really simple, but maybe you as a person find almost impossible to deal with. I think the biggest difficulty in these roles and trying to get more kind of disabled people talking is the fact that people just don't want to put themselves out there. It's a scary experience to obviously stand up and say, yes, I am disabled because you don't know what reaction you're going to get. You don't know if people are going to start treating you differently. And that means that a lot of these roles tend to go unfilled because they just can't get people to sign up to them. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that probably is even more the case for people with, for example, on the autistic spectrum, where social interactions are harder. I don't know what you think about that, but putting yourself out there is hard enough. I don't have too much of an issue with socialising. My autism is more to do with sensory issues and executive functioning, so an overlap with ADHD. But there definitely are kind of smaller things socially that I don't tend to pick up on as much. I'm really bad with asking people their name. Like I could be standing to someone for four tutorials in a row. I still won't remember their name and I'll never have asked because I just always forget. Even if I'm talking to them throughout the lesson, I'll never ask. But anyway, yeah, I can see how those with, for instance, social anxiety or issues with talking to strangers or speaking in front of crowds even, that could be a really stressful role to take up and definitely something that you would just not consider wanting to do yeah and it's those sort of things which for you know a non-disabled person they fly through their day with those things not happening to them but that just it seems to happen all the time for me not that in particular but those things which to non-disabled people seem so easy and so typical how i like to describe it is you feel like you're constantly running through the day and you're constantly tripping up getting yourself uh, standing up and getting running again and then you trip up again and then you trip up again and it's quite exhausting yeah it's all the the little hurdles that you kind of have to deal with every day that can just be so exhausting to keep up with so is there anything else that you want to can I add on? I just wanted to say thank you so much for doing this podcast series. It's really important and I wish this had happened before. These sorts of conversations are very hard to have but are so important and the world's not going to get a better place and a more accepting place for people with disabilities and ableism's not going to go down unless people understand and have these conversations and people know how 
actually really tough it is to live with a disability. You might seem to be on the outside fine, but it's like a swan on the top. You you present as fine, but underneath you're kicking madly to stay up with the crowd and stuff, you know. So I'm really thankful that you've put your time into doing stuff like this. Thank you so much for coming on and you know, having this chat with me. So next week will be a Q&A where I'll talk a little bit more about DSNs and DSAs because I've realised we've been talking a lot about that without actually explaining what they are, as well as any other questions that people send in when I put that on the Instagram, which will probably be just after this goes out. So get your questions in if you have any. It'll be on at Disability Discussions, which is our Instagram. And if you want to be on the show, please send a message and we'll arrange a, a time and date. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio Podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.